Paul Halmy is a two-time best-selling author, an international speaker and sought-after business mentor. He used his business skills to build his jiu-jitsu gym into one of the most successful gyms in the US. This episode, you will learn how to grow your business, what to do when you're networking, and the secret to creating passive income. Yeah, I was a stockbroker for six years, loved it, best job I ever had. And then got the entrepreneur bug, opened up a business, did a really good job with that. Then people started asking how I did it. And then I was like, oh, okay, I'll write a book about it. So you leave me alone. And then I started a consulting company and then help people with that. And then once they started making more money, they're like, what do I do with my money? I'm like, oh, now you're talking about my favorite thing. Let's talk about that. And then help people with their investments and building out all that stuff. Yeah. Talk, talk me through the process of being a stockbroker. What did it look like when you were a stockbroker? Because I was a stockbroker was- myself about seven years ago, but okay, all I did was dial the phone and, you know, basically <laughs> ask people for money. Like it, it wasn't really the way I saw it. It's like, this is a boring job and like it makes money, yeah. but it's not great. Exactly. Mine was different. I was in 2001. So it was like the worst time to become a broker. It was like, ah, and so the companies we were working for, they weren't really having us dial out as much as more like just trying to get people not to cash out their accounts. Like, please don't cash out your account. You're going to regret this someday and things like that. And then I, so I did service trading for a while. Then I got into um, learning how to trade stocks and options, which was fun. So I did a little bit of trading. And then from there, went into just client management and helping people out that way. But yeah, I, luckily, I was able to avoid the the cold calling side of it. Uh, yeah. You know, I eventually made my way to the team where we did call, we just called existing clients that were losing their job and things like that and try to get them to stay with our company and not leave and stuff like that. Yeah. And you said you caught the entrepreneurial bug. What was that? What made you catch the, the entre- entrepreneurial bug? Uh, my best friend, he had this dream of fighting in the UFC and doing all this crazy stuff back in 1997. And he actually made it to the UFC, was on Ultimate Fighter, all this stuff. And he had a gym. I helped him out with it. And I was like, man, you got way more freedom than me. It's like, you can do whatever you want, when you want. You still got stuff you got to do. But this freedom is amazing. And then I got hooked and I got good at helping him. And him and my wife were both like, you should open a gym too. And I'm like, okay, I'll try. And then it, one thing led to another and it was awesome. What was it like opening the first gym? How did you find the location and all that kind of stuff? It was super scary. My wife did, honestly, because mm. I was like, I kind of was chickening out. I was like, nah, I don't know. And so maybe we could find a place that had a one-year lease and that's super hard to find. And she found a place that would do a, a one-year lease with like a three-year option. And we're like, all right, cool. Let's give it a run and give it a try. So she actually found a spot, which was crazy. Mm. Uh, and when you opened, what what was that like? Because obviously, you know, th- there was not a gym there before and now there is a gym. How did you find your clients and all the people to kind of come into the gym? This is the funniest one. I tell people this story is there was no internet back then, really. I mean, there was, but there wasn't. It was the yellow pages and like street signs and hustling and just talking to people and going to the gym, wearing a jujitsu shirt. And because there was no digital marketing, you know, digital marketing was waiting for the yellow page guy to come sell you a thing for six months. And you'd have the same ad running for six months in the yellow pages. (laughs) So it was it was a crazy time. And did your business kind of make it into the digital age eventually? Like how long have you had the gym open? I've had it open since uh, 2003. Right. So 19 years. So yes, I've been through the whole thing of no digital to digital, to all kinds of digital to Facebook being awesome, Facebook sucking, you know, Google being the king. And for you, how did you kind of, how did you progress and pivot through your business? Because obviously you said there was no internet, but then once the internet became a thing, how were you educating (laughs) yourself on these things? Trial and error or like, did you do courses and that kind of stuff? Trial and error. And there were a lot of courses back then. So I would go to any kind of marketing seminar I could find, you know, they didn't have any in my industry. So I'd go to fitness ones and, you know, PTs and stuff like that. And like, man, if it works for them, it'll work for us. And then luckily it did. And it's like, okay, this actually works really good. So, so you're building and developing all these kind of entrepreneurial skills and, from what I can understand, you said that people wanted to know how, how you kind of made this transition. So how did you go mm-hmm. from, you know, 
having a, a you know basically a nine to five corporate job to being an <laughs> entrepreneur and kind of documenting that process and putting it in a book what what did that look like for you so for me it was I, I did it in the process and I was kind of known as the guy that everybody was opening gyms had either been in the UFC or was semi-famous I was like the guy that had never won nothing done nothing but my gym was as successful or more successful than a lot of these guys and they were like well, how do you do this and so when we wrote the book my editor was like labeled the book, how to make money with your martial arts gyms, even if you've won nothing. Cause it's a, it's a common misconception. Like, well, I got to win these things to have a gym and no one cares. It's all about them. If you've been like to a regular gym or like that, it's all about the person's goals. Do they want to lose weight? Do they want to learn self-defense? Do they want to be able to protect their family? So when I figured these things out, I was like, man, you, you have to look at it a totally different way. It's not about you. Nobody cares what you won. Yeah. Okay. You won. Woo. But they just care if you're credit, you know, if you're a black belt person, they're like, okay, you must be good. Then they don't care anymore after that. So it comes down to the finding out what they needed and helping them find that. And then that's when sales became fun. Yeah. And you said sales became fun. What, what do you mean by that? Oh, cause I had this image in my head of like, you know, sleazy car salesman. And well, I actually remember one time I told my best friend, I was like, all I want to do is have a job where I never sell anything. I never, I know I don't want to sell out and be, you know, you know, I was very like, Oh, you know, the F the F the man. It's like, I'm not going to be a salesperson, blah, blah, blah. And then you realize, I was a broker and, you know, I had two kids and a wife and, you know, I'm over there eating like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I'm seeing these guys in nice clothes, eating nice lunches. And I'm like, what are they doing? Like, oh, they're in sales. And I'm like, God dang it. All right. I got a family. I got to take care of. I got to learn sales. I started learning it. And it was like, okay, if you're actually fulfilling someone's need, you're not really selling, you're guiding them. Mm. So it's like, nobody comes to my gym and I trick them into buying like a timeshare or something. <laughs> you know, they yeah. come into my gym and, and they're like, Hey, I'm overweight. And I get tired playing with my kid and I want to live longer. I'm like, cool. We've got these beginner classes. Let's work on this first, get your cardio up, get your, you know, some flexibility. And then we'll progress you along in our system. They're like, Oh, okay. I really like that. Thank you. And then we build from there. And you said you've been doing jujitsu, right? Mm-hmm. How long have you been doing that? 25 years. Okay. So, <laughs> so you're arguably an expert in this type of thing. Yes. What made you get into jujitsu? My best friend again, um, I met in college. He was wrestling. I was playing golf of all things. And he was like, Hey, you want to watch the UFC? I'm like, what's that? And we went and watched it. I'm like, Oh my God, that's so crazy. That little guy beat the giant people. And this is pretty cool. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to do jujitsu. And we were living in South Dakota at the time. And I don't know if you're from North America, it's basically the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Sorry if you still live there people, but it's the middle of nowhere. And he's like, Hey, I got three choices. I can either move to New York, LA or Dallas. Those are the three places you could do jujitsu in the late nineties. And he's like, I can't afford New York and I can't afford LA. So I'm moving to Dallas. And I'm like, Oh, that sounds cool. And I'd been down there and visited. And I was like, man, I don't know. I kind of want to try something different and, and move. And I finally made a decision to do it. And, you know, I, when I got down here, I was like, got into jujitsu and started meeting people. And it was like, man, this is actually pretty fun. And then just one thing led to another. And I just got addicted to it. Yeah. And people always say that martial arts is a, is a way of life more so than a, you know, like an exercise plan. So talk me through your jujitsu routine. Like, are you one of those people that trains first thing in the morning or like, I, I'm kind of trying to understand what 25 years worth of jujitsu looks like once you've kind of got it down. I wish I was in the, in the first years, it was awesome. Cause I was young and I wasn't married yet. No kids. So I would train twice a day. It was awesome. We'd get up, we'd go do jujitsu, you know, at 11 in the morning, then we'd have something to eat and then we might go lift and then we would go back and to go back at night and do it again. I'm like, man, this is fun. And we try to find jobs. I mean, we were so into jujitsu. We try to find jobs that we could work around our schedule. It's really not normal. You yeah. know And it's like? But then as you got older, it's like, okay, now I got a job and I got a family and I got these things. How do I do this? And then the morning workouts were gone. So I didn't do those. And then it was like, okay, I train at night and then trying to balance that out. So now in a perfect world, I'd train every day at like 11 if I could, but I can't with my consulting company and, you know, different coaching calls I have to do. So all my training really for jujitsu happens at night. Yeah. And you're, and you're training twice a day or just once a day now. 
once a day now I'll train twice a day, maybe on like Tuesday and Thursday, if it's really busy. And there's a lot of good guys to train with, but at, at 47, your body, after a couple of two days, your body's like, bro, no more. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, can't do it. You can't do it. Fair enough. Well, I think it's one of those things where when you make fitness part of your lifestyle and part of your kind of daily routine, as much as people think you'll be fit forever, you have to know when to kind of, you know, scale it down and be like, you know, this is the core of, of what I like doing. And, you know, I like to do jujitsu. So I'll do one jujitsu workout a day and I'll, I'll be happy with that. Yep. Yeah. Then I'll still mix in like weight workouts and stuff like that, but it's way less volume, you know, because I want to stay healthy and not get injured and, and do those things. Yeah. So you've got the jujitsu gym and, you know, it's the first couple of years it's, it's going well, clearly you're making money because you're still in business now. <laughs> talk, talk me through the process of releasing the book, the books out there. What came off the back of the book? Man, it was perfect. It was great positioning because like I said, I was the guy that hadn't won anything. I was the nobody. And then my consulting company, I was partnered with a guy who was a former top 10 UFC fighter, you know, had tons of fights in UFC, super famous. And so we had a really good balance of like, he was the visionary. I was the integrator. So by having the book, people were like, oh, okay, this guy's pretty smart. And then they'd read the book and they're like, wow, this actually is a manual on how to run a gym. I'm like, yeah, if you buy this book for 15 bucks on Amazon, you can literally create a 20 to $30,000 a month business. And people are like, oh, you actually can just follow the process. I mean, yeah, it's not hard. It's a roadmap. And so I really got received well by that because we put a lot of time into the book where I was like, I don't want this to be like a lead magnet or some fluffy pieces. I want somebody to be able to buy this book and build a successful gym. And so we went from A to Z, everything you need to do. And it was super successful. People really liked it. So it was really rewarding to do it. Yeah. And then you kind of got into consulting for people that had bought Mm -hmm. the book or people that had kind of bought the book, started a gym and were like, right, I I need those smaller bits of help that I, I can't quite get from, you know, this book. Yep. Yeah. It's always what happens. People will buy the book and then they'll be kind of like, oh, I need more personal help. Or I need more help with this. And we have different consulting programs for, hey, if you're trying to get this level, we can help you. And then we've got different things we can do with that. And now the company's grown. I mean, pre, pre, um, I hate to use the C word, but pre-pandemic, yeah. you know, you use the C word and you don't get, everything gets filtered down. But <laughs> pre-pandemic, we were just killing it. I mean, yeah. we were, it was awesome. I was like, I made the mistake. We were at a master one time. I'm like, man, it's actually, this is 2019. I was like, man, I'm starting to get kind of bored because life is easy. It's like my gym makes money. Consulting makes money. I buy stocks. They make money. I'm like, dude, this is the greatest life ever. And then 2020 comes and I'm I'm owning a non-essential business. I'm consulting non-essential businesses. And I'm like, this is really hard. They're shutting us down. You know, we lost, literally, we lost over half of the members of our gym, over half of our consulting clients. I mean, we just got destroyed during the pandemic. Yeah. Talk, talk me through that process. What, what was that looking like when you're losing half your clients and all that kind of stuff? Was it panic stations? How did you adapt? Because you're still here. You're still running your business now. Obviously, as things are opening back up, but what did it look like? Yep. I credit a lot of it to jujitsu because when you're doing jujitsu, if you've ever done it, anybody's listening to this, you get put in some situations where you're just like, you're, you're getting smashed and your face is stuck against the mat and there's sweat in your eye and somebody's trying to choke you and you're like, this sucks. And you're like, okay, I panic. I'm going to get choked and tap out, which is, that's fine. You move on. But then you start to figure out, you're like, you get sick of that because your ego starts taking a beating. So you're like, okay, how do I survive this? Okay. He's got to get around my collar to, to choke me. So if I can protect my neck, he can't choke me. He can just lay on me and make me uncomfortable. But okay, now I'm comfortable being uncomfortable. Now I find a way out. So when the pandemic came, it was the same thing. My wife and I sat down and I was like, get ready to be comfortable being uncomfortable. This is going to suck, but we're okay. We're in a good situation. We've been investing in the markets for 20 years. You know, worst case scenario, you know, I was... I was blessed, I guess, and lucky because coming from a financial background, like in my businesses, I have operating accounts, I have lines of credit, I have all these things already established. And then when the pandemic happened, everybody's like, oh, I need line of credit. I need this. I'm like, well, good luck with that because the banks are physically closed. Mm. And they were like, oh, I should have listened to you two years ago. I'm like, yeah, you should have, but you know, dude, you can do now. So 
knock on wood, we were in a great position because we had, you know, lines of credit to cover the business. We had personal uh, emergency accounts. We had everything kind of set up. So I was like, okay, we can weather the storm as long as we can. And then being in the right place, being in Texas, we were like first, you know, we opened up right away. We were like one of the first places to reopen. So thank God, you know, we were able to start rebuilding everything early on. And a lot of people were locked down for another year. Yeah. I've heard this somewhere else before where someone said, when business is good, that's when you should set up all these lines of credit, get all these overdrafts approved and just have them sitting there. You know, it, even mm-hmm. if it means that you take out a loan that you really don't need and you're still yep. paying it back, at least you still have that money on deck. Or even if you take out a loan and you're technically using the loan to pay it back, it's just knowing that it's there for, for those problems that, that could occur. Because hundred percent, when business is bad, you can't get these loans. <laughs> Nobody's giving you a loan. Yeah. And it's funny, like when in 2018 and 19, man, they'd be, banks would be like, hey, do you want a line of credit? Do you want an additional line? Do you I'm like, man, I don't need any more. Stop. You know, and then a lot of people are like, oh, I'll do it later. I'll do it later. And then, you know, when, when, when something like the pandemic comes along and physical banks are closed and you got to call a number and wait and hope to get an application and maybe you get one and they want a bunch of paperwork because when things are bad, like we're, you know, we're probably in a recession right now in America. No one's announced it. You know, it'll take two negative quarters and we're just about to have the second one. And they'll announce that we're in a recession. People will freak out. And then banks will start tightening up that stuff or they'll be like, you know what? We're not going to loan out any money for a few months. You know, we got to get our balance sheet lined up. And so it can be a scary time to not have those things. So yeah, if you're in a business and you've got the ability to go talk to your bank and set it up. I mean, they charge like 50 bucks a year, hundred bucks a year to have the account. And what I'll do is I'll just use, I make sure I use it at least once a year so they don't turn it off because I don't want it to go away. So I'll, like I said, I'll take, I'll move some money that I don't need to move, but I'll move it just for the sake of like, Hey, I'm using my account. And then I'll just slowly pay it off over a few months and then I'll zero it out again. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. Here's a $5,000 bump in credit. And I'm like, didn't ask for that, but okay, I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. And the funny thing is with, with you know, getting these kind of credit lines and having cash on, on hand or, or being able to access funds is a lot of people kind of see that as an active thing that you need to do. But one thing that you're kind of big on and, and what you're trying to, you know, get the word out to the people about is, is passive income. And so do you yep. view kind of, how do you view passive income? What What is your views on that? And the hardest thing is to explain to people is passive income is real and it's attainable, but it's not these scams you see like on Instagram or Facebook where it's like, oh, get this crypto and you'll have passive income for life. And we all saw what happened there. Those things tanked to zero overnight, some of them, unfortunately. So I tell people, it's like, you've got to cover the basics. So you, I love to use basketball as a reference. Uh, Michael Jordan, it's like, well, he, every practice, if you read um, Tim Grover's book, you know, he talks about Michael Jordan started every practice with chess passes, the most fundamental thing on earth. Like he wasn't, okay, I'm going to throw some alley-oops and then hit some fadeaway three pointers. He was literally doing chess passes. And so I tell people the same thing. It's like, you want passive income. It's a long process. You have to have different layers. So you know, if you're, if you're an employee and you have a 401k, you know, get that thing going, get your employer match. If you're an entrepreneur, set up an IRA, make sure that's your first goal as you're funding that thing. Cause that's going to create the biggest piece of passive income for you when you get older. And then at the same time, as when business is good and you're making extra money, start putting money into an investment account that just kind of sits there. And then when opportunities come in where you can buy into, you can buy a rental property or you can buy into a real estate syndication, or you can get on a private equity deal for other types of businesses, you'll have the money and you're like, Oh yeah, I want to get on that. And then, all right, cool. You know, you got to wire the money that this, this, and this, and then what you do, it's the hardest thing, especially I talk to people that are in the real estate world. They talk about the biggest challenge they have. If somebody gets a rental property, they're like, okay, I want to cat, I want to take the cash flow out. And it's like, it's like $200 a month. It's like, it, you're just, you're 
choking off the asset. So a lot of times you have to take the money that you make from an investment, put it back into that investment, another investment, and then compound. And then five, 10, 15 years from now, then you're just sitting there like making more money off of passive income than you are if you're working income. Yeah. And for you, what are the kind of passive income streams that you believe in? Is it mostly property or are you into like online businesses and all that kind of stuff? Because I feel like a lot of American people have the value of the fact that there's so much empty land. So there's a lot of developing that can happen. But, you know, for me living in London and in England in general, there's not much land here. There's not much property. (laughs) And one person said to me quite a few episodes ago, God isn't making any more land. So if you can own land and property, you know, as much as it might go down, it's basically always going to go up. Oh yeah. Yeah. So what I try to do is for me coming from the stock world, my, my whole thing is my fundamental plan is, you know, the typical thing in America, they talk about when you're whatever age is, you know, put $400 a month away for 40 years at 10% interest, you're going to have over a million dollars. So that's like plan A is like, you have to max things out and do that. But then I start looking at other things like, okay, now the business is doing good. I've done those things. Okay. Can I buy a rental property? I did that. We had a, a rental house. My wife hated it. So we ended up selling that. And I was like, okay, I don't want to deal with people. I don't want to fix things. So what's the next option? So then I started looking around at people I knew that were successful. I'm like, hey, what are you guys doing? Like, oh, well, we do syndications where we pull a bunch of money together and then we buy some either a commercial building or whatever. And then you don't make as much, but you, you don't have any work to do. So it's like, that's my favorite kind of property investing is like syndication deals, things like that. And then latest one I've been doing since the pandemic is looking for opportunities to do private equity, to buy into other businesses that are established, that are expanding. And then you're basically a silent investor where you get no say in anything, but you don't have to deal with anything. And then you get your distribution checks. To me, that's like the dream. But like right now, I've got a plan with those for the next five years. Is I can't touch a dollar that I make from those. I'm just going to keep dumping the money back into other deals. So then in five years, it's like, oh, wow, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. And, and where are you finding these deals? Because I feel like that's where a lot of people struggle. A lot of people kind of, they hear about all this stuff. And, you know, if they're really, really savvy, they're at the level where you're at now where they're thinking, okay, I should be buying into businesses and not specifically buying stocks in the big companies. But, you know, a local plumbing company might want to expand and get, you know, five more vans and, and 10 more workers. I can invest yep. in that. And I know that that company's, as much as it's boring, it's going to make money all the time and it's going to give me <laughs> a return. So where do you find these these kind of deals and how do you find them? Man, the one that happened to me was networking. Like, you know, you always hear like your your net worth is your network. That's a big one we have over here in the States. And I wish I would have known that and really executed that in my 30s because I really didn't. When in my 30s, I was more of an integrator. I was like, just people tell me what to do. And I was like, oh, I'm behind the computer, like building funnels and ads and all this stuff and not talking to people at events. And then I started seeing people that were doing these different deals. And I'm like, man, how are they doing this? Because like you said, I didn't know how to get into these deals. I'm like, what, what is this? What is this? And then I was like, wait a second, I'm just going to ask. So I would go to these events and I'm like, I'd see this guy. Oh, hey, I saw you in this group we're in on Facebook, man. Congratulations. You guys opened up those, those 10 smoothie shops. That's really cool. I mean, what triggered that? And he'll be like, oh man, I talked to so-and-so and he was raising money and we were doing that. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. You know, congratulations. Cause the first thing you don't want to do is I give people this advice is don't go up to somebody and be like, oh man, can I pick your brain? How are you doing this? Cause then immediately they're going to be like, yo dude, leave me alone. I get this all the time. I'm going to tell you what to do. And you're not going to do it. So I spin it as like, when I go to these things, I talk to people, I congratulate them. I'm like, cause they're like, they're like my role models, my mentors. I'm like, man, that's so awesome. You did this. I would love to do that someday. And then I give them a lot. And a lot of times they'll introduce you just from talking to them. Like, Oh, you want to get into that too? I'm like, well, yeah, I'd love to, but I don't know how it works. Like, Oh man, here's so-and-so's info, hit him up. And that's how I got in this one group. And I hit the guy up and he's like, Oh yeah, we're doing this, this, and this. He goes, Oh, it's really crazy. You asked now because we're about to do this deal. You know, and, and if you, you know, felt this paperwork, blah, 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 see if you qualify. And then once I got all that done, they're like, cool. Yeah, you're in, you know, how much can you wire? And I'm like, Oh my God. I just got in this deal because I talked to three people that I, I knew these people, but I never like talked to them about that kind of stuff, you know? 
you always be in the past and be like, oh, hey, what's up? And then just go sit down. Yeah. And becoming more active is, is definitely hard, especially if you're the type of person that like just wants to get stuff done. <laughs> a lot of people yep. might, you know, talk to you for, for years and years or, you know, months and months or hours and hours if you're at an event and you don't really get much out of it. So you, you were probably in that mindset of like, oh, talking to people is worthless. But then you came and realized like, actually, no, talking to people is worth it. But yeah. one thing is you already own or, you know, have a business, which is a social hub. People come to your jujitsu gym and they already have that level of, they we're all here because we like jujitsu. So you really had that kind of conversation start. Did you meet a lot of people in your gym and then got business off the back of that? Or were you going to like specific events for certain reasons? Yeah, well, it started off in jujitsu because I was, it was the coolest place because I'd come from a lower middle-class family. You know, we didn't have anything. My parents, all they ever talked about money was negative stuff. So we never talked about the positives of money, how money was such a powerful thing. And then I got around jujitsu and jujitsu was such a cool thing because here I am just out of college making no money. And I'm working out with like a surgeon and a lawyer and a police officer and a federal agent and a bartender and, uh, you know, all these different people. And you start hearing how they talk, what they talk about. Mm. And I was like, all right, this makes a lot of sense. And that's how I eventually first got into a couple of real estate things, just talking to people at jujitsu. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. And I do the same thing. Just ask them about it. But then I was like, man, I really want to get into these other bigger things. I got to go to more events, which I was going to already, but I wasn't talking to people enough. And so like two years ago, like once uh, right before the pandemic, I started a little bit. And then of course, pandemic killed it. But then after that, every event I go to now, I'm I'm there to network. It's like, I'll try to pick up a couple things to work on later on. But in the past, I would go back to my room and start working. Now I'm like, hey man, let, let's go grab, let's go grab a drink or let's grab a bite to eat. You know, let me buy you whatever, you know, and just talking to people and just hanging out and being that guy that people like, oh, hey, we got this deal coming up. You want to get in? I'm like, oh, I'd love to. Thank you for the invite. Yeah. <laughs> what, what are your networking tips? Because I, I know everyone's got different personalities, but arguably you have to be able to at least speak to people and hold a conversation. So do you have any yes. kind of tips or tricks or ways to start a conversation? Like say you see someone across the room, you go, Joe, I want to talk to that person. I don't know why, but I'm drawn to them. How do I do that? In the beginning, start small. Like don't, don't go like try to talk to the big dogs because, you know, they, they could they can tell if you're like asking rookie questions and they're just kind of like, Oh yeah, cool, man. No worries. And they move on. Start with people that are like, maybe just a little bit above where you're at and start talking to them. And then you can kind of work the kinks out of like, cause that way you can like say something dumb or sound dumb. And they're like, Oh yeah, I'm kind of there too. And you're like, so I'd always kind of tell people work your way up. Like, you know, start small in the room with like other attendees and like going hanging out with them. Okay, cool. Now I feel comfortable talking to those guys. How about I talk to, I don't, I can't talk to the guy who's running the van, but maybe I can talk to his assistant or the person that's like helping stuff out and be like, this is the littlest things like walk up to the assistant and be like, man, this event's so awesome. You guys are killing it. You know, great job. And then be like, Hey, I'm Paul. Nice to meet you. And then just walk away. Like don't ask them for things. And then you get known, they see you again. They're like, Oh, Hey, what's up, Paul? And I'm like, Oh, Hey, what's going on? I'm like, man, you guys are killing it. You know, is Ryan have anything going on? Who's running the event? And then their assistant be like, oh yeah, they got this thing going on, you know, because they've, you've already gotten past that first layer. But if you try to jump to the top dog, you got to have your social skills on point. <laughs> yeah. And and what are the, what are the uh, kind of things that mean having your social skills on point? What does that look like? Because you are a guy like, that has your social skills on point. Yeah. Like you said, being able to carry a conversation, you got to have confidence. You know, it's like, you can't walk in and be like, hey, really good event. I'm having a lot of fun. You know, you got to like, it's almost like you got to like become a cartoon character in a way. You got to be like, you know, puff your chest up, walk with confidence and be like, oh, hey, what's going on? This, this event's awesome. I'm having a great time, yada, yada, yada. And then when you do get to meet the the bigger people, you know, it's like, keep it simple and, but like, make it about them. Don't be like asking them a bunch of questions because they get asked questions all the time. They're just there to like decompress a little bit, but really work on your social skills. 
and your confidence. Another thing going back to jujitsu just gives you unlimited confidence. Like, you know, I walk into a room and I always get the joke because you can't see because this is audio. My ears are mangled. So <laughs> people I always get, I go to these events and people are like, like, oh my God, you do MMA. I'm like, yeah, I've done a long time. And they're like, oh, you could probably beat up everybody here. I'm like, probably, but I'm not here for that. You know, and I, but I make jokes about it. I don't like yeah. In the past, I'd be like, oh, no, you know, I would never, you know, like, and kind of shy about it. now I'm just, I make jokes. I'm like, yeah, probably, but you know, I'm not here to do that. <laughs> you know, it's like, so I use your thing, use, uh, I got this from a guy at an event I was at and he was talking because I was for a while, I was like, you know what? I need to not talk about fighting and stuff like that because people think of fighters as dumb and not good with money. Cause like, mm. I want to help people with money. And he's like, he's like, dude, you can't run from your flaws. You can't run from your ears. And I'm like, yeah. okay. He goes, you have to embrace it. So, you know talk about fighting for your finances, things like that. So people, when I go to events, I, I stick out, I use it as a, as a, um, uh, something that, you know, everybody wears like black shirts to event. I wear like a louder shirt with my big ears and people, so I stick out like crazy. And then people remember me like, Oh, you're the MMA guy. I'm like, Oh yeah, cool. I'm Paul. What's up? Nice to meet you. And, you know, and just be like a, a genuinely like, per a genuine person that cares about the people you're talking to. Don't, you don't want to have like an ulterior motive. Like I'm just talking to this person because I want to get in on a deal. It's like, no, I want to be friends with, yeah, I want, I want to get on deals with these guys but I want to be friends with them. So like in 10 years, you know, they're inviting me to their, their kids graduation. And they're like, Oh yeah, by the way, we're doing this. And you start, cause when it gets into that world, the relationships are so strong. Like I see people that have been friends for a long time and they're doing crazy deals together. And I'm like, man, I want to be a part of that kind of stuff. I want to be, because like, if you're an entrepreneur, your circle kind of sucks because people around you, it's like, they want you to do good, but not better than them. And mm. they're always you know, trying to hold people are always, so you go to these other events and you got people that are doing better. Nobody's like that. Everybody's like, oh man, no, you're doing good. Oh, we're, this is how we're doing this. And, you know, it gives you a place to talk to people and expand there. So yeah, just working on that's huge. Yeah. And what does, what does it look like from your perspective going in somewhere? Let's say, you know, in your head that the, that person over there, who's the big dog, they've got, you know, let's say a million dollars in property or $5 million in property, or they've got this business and that business. And you're coming in and you're like, right. I run this gym and, you know, you said earlier that, you know, you could be making $20,000, $30,000 a month, but let's say you, you've just, you know, you're fresh, you're new. So you're really probably making, you know, fifty dollars to $100,000 a year in your gym. And a lot of that's going out in costs. How do you kind of get that conversation started to the point where someone goes, right, this is what we're doing. This is how we're doing it. Bang, 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 bang. When can you transfer the money? And, you know, being able to kind of go like, hey, I might not be able to do 50,000 pounds, but I can do $25,000 and, and, you know, make that work. How does that, how does that look? Man, it's, it's a long, it's a long process. You know, it's a problem right now is everything's so fast. Like, you know, what's the attention span on, they say on Instagram is like seven seconds now or something. Yeah. It, you can't have that mindset when you want to go into these type of deals. Like I'll give you an example. There's, there's a, uh, a guy in the U S who I looked up to for a really long time. I'm like, man, I want to get into this guy's world, but I had no way to get in. I'm like, I had no, nothing in common. I'd see him at events and I had nothing to talk about. And it was like, Oh my God, this sucks. And then I was like, okay, I started watching other people. I'm like, okay, just be cool. Like talk to people. So I started talking to the people below him and, you know, and doing these things. And then one thing led to another. And then when my friends had these fights and they're like, Hey, we're gonna go to these fights. I'm like, Hey, cool. We should invite so-and-so and take him to the fights. And then, so him and I sat and watched the UFC in Dallas for three hours. And I asked zero business questions. I was like, before the thing, I gave myself a pep talk. It's like, don't ask any questions. Don't be that guy. Don't pick his brain. Just be a regular dude. Ask about his family. Ask about this, ask about that. And then you fast forward, this is probably five years ago. Now we're friends and we do deals together, but it took a long time and step by step by step because these guys get approached all the time by people who just want something from them. So you got to have a, 
if you see somebody you're like, man, I want to like in the US, like I'll give you Grant Cardone, for example, you know, who he is, right? Yeah. He, he does lots of massive property syndication. Deals. <sighs> Me and my business partner talk about that type of stuff all the time. And Grant Cardone always inevitably comes into the situation. Dude. He's massive, but you, you know, five, six years ago, you might've been able to get around him a little bit. There's no way you're getting around him right now. It's, mm. There's no way, Yeah. but you can go to an event and then you can buy a ticket and you can talk to so-and-so and get known by so-and-so and you do this and that and that. And then they have a pop-up thing. You go to that. Then you see him on Instagram. You don't just be like, Hey dude, um, how do I buy property? You know, you go on Instagram you send him a message like, Oh my God, I bought your book 10 X. It changed my life. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You know, don't make it up, like really buy the book. And, but if you buy things from these people, you're automatically, you're already different than everybody else that's asking for shit all the time. Oops, I don't I can swear or not. You can swear. <laughs> but, yeah, no, you're allowed okay. to swear on this podcast. Yeah. You know, sometimes I like to watch people kind of struggle and go, oh, I don't know if I can swear yet, but yeah, you can swear. I know, it's I'm fine. like, oh, can I swear on this? Because I swear a lot. Sorry. <laughs> I need to add that to my disclaimers in the beginning. I need to go, listen, you can swear. Like, it's fine. So yeah. It's go so on. funny. But yeah, so like hit those guys up in like the fastest way to fast track stuff is buy stuff from them. I know it sounds like cliche, but it's like, because they're, they're dealing with, tons of people. And, you know, so Grant Cardone looks at his inbox someday and he's got 10 messages from you. And one might be like, you just being like, Oh, a picture of him and his kids. Like, Oh, that's awesome. You know, you're going to ask. And they're like, Oh, Hey, I bought your book or Hey, I, I went to 10 X and it was amazing. And I did this and I did that. And then you can work your way up to somebody like that. And if you follow that kind of process, you'll eventually get to the guy. I mean, but then it's like, do you have something that, you know, only problem with him now, he's so high up that you would caught, you got to put a lot of money in, but you know, three, four years ago, you didn't have to, but you can work your way up. And then he has other deals now here in the States where you're like, you know, five grand or whatever, 10 grand, you can buy into like these smaller non-accredited deals, but you do that. And then you get on the radar, like, oh, Hey, now you're a buyer. You're in these deals. And they're like, huh, this guy's in their buyer list. He's bought, you know, this blah, blah, blah thing. And then maybe you have money later on and they're going to have this big thing in Miami and you go down there and you meet him and they're like, Hey, it's a hundred grand to get in, blah, blah, blah. And then you're like, this is what I really want. Cool. I'm in. And then next thing you know, you're having dinner with Grant Cardone. Yeah. I mean, it's possible. You just got to play the long game. Yeah. And and the idea of playing the long game is, you know, saving is, is the first step to get that initial bit of capital yes. because a lot of people will want to go, Oh, there's ways to get money without actually having money. It's like, but realistically you want to come from a point of power of, you know, even if you're taking it out in credit or if you're, you know, saving up and, and having that initial money to invest, that's probably the best way to go about things, right? Yeah. And that goes back to the fundamentals. Like I always tell people, it's like, cover your fundamentals because everybody's like, you know, I joke around. It's like, I'm 20 years into my 40 year plan. People are like, well, I want to be where you're at. I'm like, well, how many years have you been investing? And they're like, I haven't yet. I'm like, cool. You're 20 years behind me. Get started. And they're like, well, but I want to do what you're doing. I'm like, you don't have the fundamentals covered. It's like, yeah, maybe you might have some money you can scrim together and jump it on a deal but they don't realize those deals can take forever. Like I got into one deal last year and, and they even told us like, Hey, this is going to take, you're not going to see a dollar for a year. And I'm like, Oh, cool. So I wire you a bunch of money. I get no money back. It's because these bigger deals take a long time to develop. And then two, three years from now, you're getting cash flow all the time. And then in five years they're selling it and you're like, cool. But if you're trying to skip to from A to Z instead of A to B to C, you don't have those things where say you put all your money into a deal and something goes wrong in your personal life and you need money. Are you going to call that guy up and be like, Hey dude, can I get my money back? Dude, you're going to be done. They're never going to let you in that deal ever again. So I tell people, it's like, man, you need your, your, your retirement set up. You need a savings account, an emergency account, a brokerage account, and just get started. And then you'll be able to open yourself up to all these opportunities later on in life. But everybody wants to jump ahead. And it's like, no, you've got to, You've got to cover the basics. And I tell people, it's like it's kind of a choose your own adventure. If you're really hustling and you're killing it, making a bunch of money, you can do it way faster than I did it, but you still got to cover the basics. And then once the basics are covered, yeah, put all your money into other things and, and do that, but have that foundation. Yeah. 
and and what was it like growing your I know we're kind of jumping back in the story but what was it like growing your jiu-jitsu gym because I'm assuming you you're, are you in the same location you've been in for 19 years or have you moved locations No I've got... moved a bunch yeah <laughs> I was I wasn't trying to move every time my lease was up and try to get a better deal or a better space and you know I'd always start small and then this slowly get bigger 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 and then I got really big and then luckily before the pandemic I'd actually downsize a little bit cuz I was like man I don't like my gym this big anymore it's too much headache cuz you get a point where it's like you have to work more to make the same profit. I mean, your gross is higher, but you got way more bills. And I'm like, man, this ain't worth it. It's like, I don't want to have a, a big gross and a small net. I want to have like a medium gross and a large net, yeah. you know? So I had actually lucky downsize. So it wasn't so bad when COVID hit. Um, but man, like, yeah, it's, it's, it was crazy, but I've moved. Yeah. Probably seven times. <laughs> And what does it look like when you're picking up a jujitsu gym? Is it just you're picking up a whole bunch of mats and moving it? Or is it is there a lot more equipment than I can understand? <laughs> Luckily, it's not that much. That's why I joke around people. It's like, man, I just need mats, air conditioning, heat, some fans, you know, make sure they got restrooms, locker rooms, and then you're good to go. Yeah. And so when you're you know moving around gym to gym, place to place and, and relocating, is that kind of like a really like big decision that you're making or is it kind of like i'm literally looking for the best deal every time regardless of the location is the location important too like how are you making this decision of what place is suitable once you're moving yeah both you know like they would say the old thing in real in uh, real estate and in retail is location 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 which location's huge like my first gym was just like we just opened the first cheap place we could find like cool we're going there and then as we grew we're like okay then we expanded expanded and then i was like we're in this town but if we go two towns over they have way they make they have way nicer cars. They have more money. So my next, when I next move is going to be into this town, how do we do that? And then I was like, Oh, let's open a small one there. So I had two gyms at one point. Let's have a small one there, fill it up and then we'll keep expanding. And then end up actually getting rid of the original gym. And I just have the gym in the town that I'm in now. And we just, you know, found this best spot we could. And in my area, real estate was really expensive. So I had to roll the dice. I'm like, okay, I'm a good marketer. I'm a good this. So I put my latest gym in a warehouse, which has like no frontage where people see it from the street. Like you only, you have to like turn right, turn left, and you might see my sign. But I was like, man, you know what? I'm going to roll the dice because I'm going to save so much on um, rent and utilities that I'm a good enough marketer and I've got a long enough reputation. We've built a good brand that I'll be okay. And it's worked out really well because it's stupid expensive for a nice spot in my area right now. Yeah. And talk me through the process of building a brand because, you know, a 19 year strong brand is is nothing to kind of ignore. Like you clearly have great branding knowledge and marketing skills. So talk me through the process of learning that and developing that and also building up your, your jujitsu brand to the level it's at now. Man, it all goes back to Gary V. I'm sure you guys see, her, see him a lot too. You know, Gary Vee's all over the place. He talks brand, 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 brand. So a lot of times we'll put out content on social media or whatever and, and not even pitching anything. It's just talking about what we do. You know, it's like a lot of times we don't even run ads. We'll just be like, oh, we're doing this. We got this new program or we helped so-and-so do this. But you always have your logo and then you always have your your website looks good. Your Google your Google uh, local looks amazing. People have to see good reviews, all this stuff. I've had people, it's the craziest thing. Like I had a guy come in and join earlier this year and he's like, man, I've been trying to join your gym for 10 years. And I was like, what? 10 years. And he's like, well, yeah, I brought my oldest son in here and he didn't like it. You know, he didn't want to do jujitsu. And then I was like, well, if he's not going to do it, I'm not going to do it. And then I brought my, my second kid in and he did the same thing. And he's like, man, then I turned 50 and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to do it for myself. And he's like, I've been following you for 10 years, you know? And I'm like, okay, this stuff works. You know, it's like, you have to keep, you know, putting the brand out there, putting out context. A lot of people, you see it when business start doing well, they get stagnant. Like I don't have to post on social media. I don't have to run Google ads. I don't have to do that. It's like, you have to do all those things because 
if you have a successful business, what's going to happen? Someone's going to come into your area and try to knock you off. Like I had, when I opened my gym, there was no one around me. Now there's probably four gyms that I could almost hit with a golf ball from my gym. I'm like, this is yeah. ridiculous guys move somewhere else, <laughs> do yeah. some market research. And what is it that allows you to kind of get past your limiting beliefs with money? Cause you said you grew up working middle-class and you know, you said you had these kind of mental blocks that were programmed oh, into horrible. you as a, as a child because you had only negative views of money. So how did you yeah. get past those limiting beliefs and how do you help other people to get past those limiting beliefs? Man, luckily it was a side effect of being a stockbroker. So I got hired and I was in, they started off in the service department first. So you get these calls, people call up with a question and the account would pop up on your computer screen. And I'd be like, Oh my God, this, you know, $1.3 million, half a million dollars. I'd never, I'd never seen $5,000. I'd have been like, you know, and then like you'd start seeing these just insane amounts of money and you'd be like, how do I talk to this person? And then you start talking to them and they're just a regular dude. And they're like, oh yeah, you know, I did blah, blah, blah. I worked at the General Motors for 40 years and now you got $3 million. And I'm like, okay, these are just regular people that understand things that I've never been taught. And then, so I got more and more comfortable with that. And it kind of skewed where it helped me jumpstart my brain, you know, where I was like, wait a second, there's so much money out in this world that I didn't even know existed. Like to me, I was like, you know, you, you just work hard and you suffer. And then maybe when you retire, you get to go on a vacation at 70 years old. I'm like, I don't want that. And then when I figured it out, I was like, okay, you've got to do these things. And then as I was doing jujitsu and progressing through that, I'd start making friends with these guys that were stupid rich. And I go hang out with them. I hear like, we'd have lunch or dinner. We go to their house or whatever. And I hear they talk to their kids and I'm like, whoa, this is unfair. This, these, these kids are, you know, they're talking about the stock market and the kids ate, you know, or they're talking about, you know, college accounts. I don't, what, what is that? You know, I'm like, it's, it was such a different conversation. So I tell people, it's like, you got to give your kids, I call it an unfair advantage. It's like, man, the minute the kid's born, start talking about stocks, start talking to them about savings, start talking about, you know, in America, CNBC, I, it's on my, I joke around people come to my house and they get annoyed. Like my, my cousin, my uh, in-laws and stuff like that. Cause we always have CNBC on in the house. The stock market's open. Don't turn the channel. It's like, we watch CNBC here and it's like, it's work though. My wife understands the stock market. I say through osmosis because it's, she's been exposed to it for 20 years. My, mm. my kids understand it. My son's asking me now about options and stuff like that. And I'm like, Whoa, calm down, son, <laughs> just stick to stocks for a while. He's like, Oh, but you can make more money. I'm like, yeah, but you can lose it all real fast too. And, but it's like, you got to give your kids that edge. And if you don't have it, then start reading books and listening to podcasts and share the knowledge with your kids you know, equip these next generations, give them the ability to go to a level that we never dreamed of. You know, it's like, it's every parent's goal is unless you're a crappy parent is I want my kids to do better than me. People are like, you know, I, I want my kids to be, you know, so successful that they're like, Oh, Hey dad, here's this Lamborghini for your, for your 60th birthday. I'm like, Oh, cool. Thank you. You know, it's like, I just want my kids to do way better than me. It's like, you know, and I grew up, my parents, you know, everybody was kind of like, you know, that's like, they didn't, almost didn't want you to do better. They just wanted you to like, cause they felt like, well, if you do better then I failed. And it's like, no, you're backwards. It's like you won, you know, that's like a bad relationship with my dad. Cause he was just so negative about everything. And it was like, dude, I can't even talk to you anymore. It's like, you're just, you're just toxic. Yeah. And speaking about kind of putting in better values and better knowledge into your children, you said to, you know, read books and listen to podcasts. What, books do you suggest yeah i know i'm putting you on the spot here but what books and podcasts do you suggest to, to listen to how do you how do people get financially literate that's a tough thing because there's a lot of stuff out there where it doesn't really give you a lot of stuff so i tell people first thing is attack your mindset start listening to old audiobooks by jim Rohn's, like the classics like you know he's like the i call him like the godfather of whatever because 
the dude's just so inspirational. And like, he helped me through a lot of stuff when I was first getting started as, as an entrepreneur and a marketer, I didn't know what was going on. So I'm like, you start reading about mindset and like, Oh, Hey, if you can do these things and you can accomplish all these things. And then a really good book, which has, it doesn't have anything to do with the stock market, but I say it does is it the compound effect by Darren Hardy, right. which he actually bought uh, Jim Rohn's company and took a bunch of his lessons and wrote a book. The book's amazing. It's a super easy read. Uh, I read it at least once a year. I have the audio book listened to it because it just talks about how small things compounded will make you more. And then when you start getting into it, it, into money and investments, you know, watching CNBC, listening to podcasts are a little trickier because, you know, I, I haven't really found a good one yet that gives you like some basic stuff. Um, and then like my, my second book, The Money Fight, I tell people, uh, if you want a, a foundation to start from, it's a great book because when I wrote it, I wrote the first edition and I gave it to the editor and they were like, yeah, we can't do anything with this. This is like in Greek because I was talking like I would talk like I in jujitsu, we call it a black belt brain. Like I had black belt brain. And I'm and a white belt's reading it, going like, "What? What is this?" So then we wrote, rewrote the book, and rewrote the book, and rewrote the book, and I simplified it down to the most simple processes to help people get a basic understanding of finances, and then how to move on and progress from there. Yeah, and uh, for you, how do you overcome the difficulties that you might encounter? As because it's it's great to kind of think that business is easy and airy fairy, and yeah, every day is perfect, but. How do you overcome some of the roadblocks that come your way? And what are those roadblocks that happen? Man, it, it's every day. It's a roadblock. I mean, unfortunately, you got to say it. It's like, it's going to be a challenge. Like if you, it's like that saying, you can always, you, as you're going, you can either be going up or going down. Trying to stay level is so hard. So like if I'm at a certain point and I'm like, oh, I want to coast a little bit, then all my stuff goes backwards. And I'm like, oh my God, now I got to go fix this problem and that problem. So you really got to stay focused and yeah, I've been doing this, like I said, for 20 years and, and I still have to work on my mental game. Like, cause our, our mind is the biggest thing that holding us back. A lot of times it's like our subconscious is like, Oh, you know, we can't do that. Or ah, it's going to be, that's risky. That's dangerous. And it's like, okay, let's think about it a little bit, you know, take a couple of deep breaths, write out some notes, journal a little bit and be like, what do I really want? Well, I want this, this, and this, well, how are you going to get that? You're, I'm not going to get that new one. I'm doing. So what I gotta do? Okay. I got to change these habits. I got to do this. I either got to save some more money or maybe cut out a bill and find a way to improve this rebalance my investments, things like that. But I think you can never stop learning. Like I'm, I'm, I listen to audiobooks, listen to podcasts, I read books. It's like, I just, I want to keep learning. Cause I feel like once I stop that stuff, that's when everything goes backwards. Yeah. And, and in the idea of, of keeping learning, what was your, what, what was your biggest takeaway from what you would deem your greatest failure to date? Greatest failure to date. I've had some good ones. <laughs> so, you know, in business started off, I didn't run the business right. It was in super bad in debt and then rebuilt my way out of that. So I had to work on, you know, managing your money. Cause even when you're making money, you have to manage it because if you don't manage it, it you can spend it faster than you can make it. Cause as, as humans, it's like, we, we get to a level and it's like, okay, now we're at this level. Cool. Now we're buying a nicer car and a nicer house and nicer clothes. And it's like, wait, I'm out of money again. Oh God. So it's like really trying to convince myself like, yes, it's good to go get things, but get them when you can afford them. Don't go out there and be like, oh, I need to get this thing now. And it's like, get it now or put money, to save up money for it. So when you do get it, it doesn't feel like you're just, you know, drowning with it. Yeah. And for you, was there a time or decision that you made where you wished it had worked out differently? So you said about, you know, the whole lifestyle creep thing of, you know, spending you know, when you made more money, but is there any other decisions you made that you wish had turned out differently? Yeah. When we were, 
it was crazy because when we were, you know, in 2019, we were like, I was joking around. Like I said, we were just printing money. It was ridiculous. Like I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be set for life in another year. And of course that was false. (laughs) But at the time, you know, being the person I am, you know, I covered all my basics. I did all these things, but looking back at it, when there was extra money in the business, we were trying to just grow. We were just trying to dump, you know, gas on the fire and just grow, 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 grow. And I really wish I would have had someone to kind of tell me like, Hey dude, um, you guys are doing good, but why are you trying to scale so hard? Calm down, take some of these profits and put them into something that's going to create more profits. Cause we were, you know, my business partner and I we were talking about that. We were like, man, if we just would have done when we were bank making stupid money, why weren't we buying Airbnbs? Why weren't we buying these things that would create, you know, more income for the inside the, inside the corporation. Instead, we were like, Oh, let's, let's triple our ad spend and let's, you know, host an event. Let's do this and this and this. Cause we were just trying to grow so fast. And I, it's one of my biggest regrets is like, so if we, when we get back to that level again, I'm going to do things completely different. <laughs> yeah. I guess it's one of those things where you have to kind of sometimes mess it all up and make it again so that you actually know what to do with it. Because even if you try to do the, the, the quote unquote right thing, it might not work out and you might not have anything to learn from it because you haven't actually, you know, indulged that side of yourself where you're kind of seeing what the, you know, the whole grass is greener thing. Oh, hundred percent. What is it about what you do that brings you the most joy? What is it that about I do that brings me the most joy? Is I'm lucky. I get to see people improving. So it brings me, it makes me so happy. Like when I go teach jujitsu and somebody's improving, I'm like, oh my God, this is great. And then I'll get a message from somebody. It's like, hey, my school's record numbers, we did this and this, and I'm going to take my family on a vacation. So it, it, for me, I'm lucky because I get to help people achieve their goals. And so that brings me the most joy because the more people I can help, it's going to help me. That's going to help my family. And it's going to build my circle bigger, my network bigger. And at the end of the day, it's like, you know, cause like social media can be such a dark place, you know, especially like Facebook, you go on there, everybody's fighting and arguing. It's why I like Instagram better. It's a happier place and people post pictures and stories and things like that. But at the end of the day, it's like, there's enough for everybody to win. It's like, but some people are just like, well, if you win, then I can't win. It's like, no, we can all win. It's like, be happy about it help more people and you're going to win more. And so for me, it's like just seeing people winning. It makes me happy because then I got to step my game up. You know, it's like in jujitsu, because if I help somebody get better, what's going to happen? They're going to try to choke me. <laughs> it's like, I'm creating my worst enemies, but I love it. And then if I do get caught, you know, and have to tap out, I'm like, some, some coaches have a big egos. So like, Oh, I can't believe that. I'm just like, man, that was awesome. You must have a good coach. <laughs> you know, it's like, and it's the same thing in school. Like I have clients because I'm not hundred percent focused on my business anymore. I'm more focused on the consulting, but I still have my business because I love it and everything like that. But I have clients that are way, have way more successful gyms. And I'm like, I'm like, dude, that's awesome. That means that we're doing a good job helping you. And yeah, my gym's not where yours is because I'm not focused on that. If I were to go hundred percent and focus on my gym, it'd be ridiculous. But as I'm getting older, I'm realizing, Hey, I can only put so many hours into a gym or I can build a consulting company, bring on more coaches, scale that and not lose my mind and still go on vacation when I feel like it and travel now that the world's opening back up. It's like, I just love to travel. (laughs) Tell the people, where can they find you online? Uh, My favorite place, like I said, Instagram, uh, Instagram forward slash P-A-U-L period H-A-L-M-E. My favorite place, or you can go to my website, P-A-U-L-H-A-L-M-E.com on there. But I usually try to give away uh, blogs updated on my website. And then on Instagram, I'm always kind of posted about, you know, different things I'm doing, different tips and then stories. You can kind of see the, the things I'm doing. Because the one thing I like to do is I only teach about things that I'm doing. So people are like, oh, like when they meet me, they're like, oh, you're actually doing the things that you talk about on Instagram. I'm like, yeah, why wouldn't I? It's like, I do these things. That's who I am. 
And, and so it's a lot of fun. But yeah, hit me up on Instagram. If you have questions, send me a DM. You know, I'm more than happy to answer anything. I, I just like helping people. Thank you for listening to People Explained. New episodes come out every Monday. We would appreciate it if you gave us a review on Apple Podcasts and shared this episode with a friend.